Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, let's turn our attention to the Word of God this morning here. Um, before you throw up the, the title of the sermon this morning, I wanted to kind of let you guys know uh, what kind of took place this past week. So I was all, I was getting prepared for the message this week. I had a, a beautiful laid out sermon plan for the next four weeks. I really wanted to talk about the life of Samuel this past week, and then I was, I was having lunch on Thursday with a gentleman here, and in the midst of lunch, I had to step away, and I really felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to be preaching on baptism this coming Sunday. And this is one of those messages that I have never preached on water baptism. It seems weird. I've been, I've been in ministry for the last 16, 17 years, and I've never done a sermon on water baptism. So we are going to talk about water baptism today. And I realize many of you in this room might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, I've already been baptized. Uh, why are we talking about water baptism? And you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, didn't we already do water baptism this past summer? And didn't we have a couple of Sundays or Saturdays that we had baptism? The answer is yes to all of those Questions And some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I was baptized as an infant, and we don't need to talk about this on a Sunday. And I realize there's a lot of reasons on why not to talk about water baptism in a Sunday morning service. I've usually taught them in classes. I've taught a lot of water baptism classes, but I think water baptism is such a big deal, and it's something that I don't think that we actually talk about enough. Here at Woodland, we do communion every single month. Um, but we don't talk about water baptism that often. And I, wanna, I want to take some time to talk about water baptism. And the title is, Why We Head Into the Water, is the title of the message today. And we're going to be looking at quite a few different, different scripture verses. But here at Woodland Church, you may or may not know this, but we here, we don't do infant baptism. And I realize this is a super controversial subject within Christianity, within the Western church. There are some churches that do infant baptism, and there's probably some of you here, like myself, I was baptized as an infant at a small church out in Scandia. So if you ever drive out, out to like Scandia and you look left, there's this like brown wooden church. I got baptized at that church as an infant. Um, I have no idea what the day was like that day because I was like three months old. Um, but we, we don't do infant baptism. And when you look historically at infant baptism, and I'm not trying to be starting a fight here if you come from infant baptism background, okay? I'll just tell you historically how infant baptism came to be. So during the dark ages of church history, um, life expectancy was absolutely terrible. And um, during the dark ages, there was plagues. And there was a lot of death, and Europe took a major hit multiple times, not just the Black Plague, but they had plagues prior to that. Well, at the time, culturally, people were wondering about their children. Well, what happens to these, these, these babies if they die from plague? And the death rate was extremely high. And the church at the time, their response was infant baptism. It didn't start out of like the time of Jesus, didn't start during the time of the apostles, but they said, hey, if we baptize babies, then we know that they will go to heaven. And that's kind of where historically, as you see the church history, where infant baptism 
came out. And, and during the Reformation, Luther never changed anything, and John Calvin never really changed. They never really addressed that, that issue within the church because they had other things going on. During the Reformation, priests and the church was selling sins. You could come to a priest and you could say, hey, I want to sleep with my neighbor's wife, and you could buy it. It was, I mean, like, I mean, like they had other issues going on back then. Baptism wasn't one of them. But I, I, I share that because, because, because biblically, why do we do water baptism? What is the point within water baptism? And, and being our church, we believe in adult baptism, where when you come to faith, you will be getting baptized. Well, that's what I want to be looking at this morning. And I want us to dive in to the Word. And we're going to be flipping around a lot, but I'm going to ask you to be standing this morning as we read Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And I just want to give you a quick context as you stand. Um, John the Baptist was a crazy fellow in the Bible. Camel's hair, locusts and honey, And we're going to read about John in the wilderness and what God was doing at that time. So this is Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. It says this, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, in verse 10, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, who does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 12, the winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you, Lord. We look to your word. Father, will you help us to understand baptism a little bit more clearly this morning? Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Like what I said, John was a little bit of an odd duck. And, you know, we can sometimes just kind of like read Scripture and just kind of think, oh, you know, this is just a brief description of who this fellow was. But I just wanted to just kind of point out real quick how weird John was. And I I really want you to kind of grasp this here because John, it says he was living in the wilderness. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't living in a home. You would probably consider him homeless. And all he wore was camel's hair and a leather belt. And all he ate was locusts and wild honey. Now, um, still, 
like you can just picture this situation going on. And here he is. He lives in the wilderness, and he's standing by the Jordan River, and he's calling people, and he's preaching, and his message is very, very clear in Matthew's verses 1 through 2. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was not a difficult message. It was not an unclear message. This was not a message that had a bunch of hidden parables that you couldn't understand what he was saying or what he was meaning. He was simply in the wilderness calling people, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, many times when people see that word repent historically and, and, and also biblically here, the, the real definition, and when you look behind it, it's, it's to change one's mind, or, or, or the popular term is to be sorry for something. But that doesn't really carry the full weight of that word of repentance. Because we can change our mind about a lot of different things. But when you look at biblically, and even within this text, it's not merely an intellectual change of mind that John is calling people to. He's calling people to a radical, transformational life of the entire person. Their mind, meaning their, their thought process, but also with their actions. He's calling people, change everything. And he's calling people to bear fruit with keeping with repentance. John has this radical message at this time. People had heard about repentance, but John is, is there at the wilderness calling people, repent, and there's a reason why you should be repenting, why your mind should be changing, why your actions should be, should be making a 180, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm not going to go into all of those details in this morning. Uh, Josh's wife, Marie, asked me a, a wonderful question at breakfast that she wanted to, to talk deeply, which, as you guys know, on a Sunday morning, pastor's always ready to have a deep spiritual conversation on a Sunday morning before I'm about to preach. But she was asking me about the kingdom of heaven. And I said, well, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote my thesis on that, and I can give you a copy of that later. Caitlin, don't let me forget to email that to them. But the kingdom of heaven, the reason why John is saying that, and briefly here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning God's kingdom has come. When Jesus stepped onto this earth, Jesus was ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom not of this world. And John is in the wilderness calling men and women, repent because his kingdom is here. And when they repent, John makes it very clear in verses 7 through 10 when he's talking with the religious folks. He says this, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are the religious leaders at the time, coming to his baptism, he had some very encouraging words for them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In verse 8, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I will tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. And in verse 10, he gives them this warning, for even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
The religious people at this time, they had this understanding. I'm a Sadducee. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a religious leader. I come from Father Abraham. I'm a Jew. I come from this bloodline. I come from this tribe. I am made right by God by where I come from. It'd be similar today if you said, well, I grew up at this church. I went to this church on Sunday. I'm made right by God because my parents went to that church and my grandparents went to church and now I go to church. And he is calling them out and saying, listen, it's not about your heritage. And he even looks at these stones and said, God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. He is warning them and saying, listen, it's not about your heritage. It's not about where you come from or which church you have possibly attended today. It's about repentance. It's about changing. It's about turning. And we turn because his kingdom has come. John is helping them understand God's kingdom here. He's helping them understand what does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom. He's setting the stage. Actually, Scripture teaches that he is Jesus' forerunner. He is preparing people. He's preparing men and women to receive their King Jesus. And what was taking place in verses 5 and 6, it says, Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him. And I love this. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And then you get this last little line, confessing their sins. We don't know if this was a corporate confession or or if this was an individual confession, but these men and women were coming to John the Baptist. John had this very simple message, repent, and these men and women were coming to him. They were confessing their sins. They They were recognizing in their life that they do not measure up to the standards of God, and they would come and they would confess their sins, and John would bring them into the water. And he would baptize them. Now, the real question about about baptism is this. What's the point of baptism? Like, why this? Why do we and why does Scripture teach about this baptism? About this idea of people going down into the water. For, For John, it was down to the River Jordan. I wish we could all just fly there and be baptized at the River Jordan. I know, I think there's some of you in this room that have actually been baptized in that river. Uh... Could be wrong here, but I thought that I heard that from someone. But why the water? What's the whole point of going down to the water? Why, do we, why is there this calling upon our lives to go into the water? What does that even mean? What does that even symbolize? And I want us to turn to Galatians real quick. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to see a little bit of insight here on why the water and why the calling For God's people is to go down to the water. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. I want to read this to you, and then we're going to dissect it here a little bit. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized 
There's that word again. Into Christ. Have put on Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. So this book, I always want to give you just a quick understanding of what this book was. The book of Galatians was written to a church that was really, really struggling with legalism. And what I mean by that is that they had people in the church starting to influence them, starting to be telling people, you need to do a certain thing. You need to be, actually at the time it was saying, you need to be circumcised in order to be made right with God. And this was going around in the church. So Paul writes this letter to the church saying, listen, it's not about you getting circumcised in order to, for you to be made right with God. It is by faith. It is through faith. Get rid of those people. Do not buy into legalism. You cannot be made right by God by what you do. It's by what Christ has done for you. So I just want to just kind of set that stage because this entire letter is Paul arguing, you have freedom in Christ. Don't listen to those, to those legalistic people. They are wrong, and it's absolutely wrong. Well, here he is reminding them about what the law of God did in their lives. So many of you have probably heard about the law of God, and you think about Old Testament, you think about Moses, and you think about him coming out of Egypt, and then him going onto the mountain, him getting the Ten Commandments. And, and Paul is letting them know that the law that God gave to his people, it was a guardian. The law was never set up to make people right with God. It was a guardian for them. It was the way that God had called his people to live. But ultimately, the law does one thing. It points people to the need of Jesus. I love how one scholar put it. He said, he put it this way. In a proper sense, the law does lead us to Christ, not by weaning us from our sins, but rather revealing them clearly, even causing them to be multiplied and increased to the point where we stand before God, utterly void of any hope of ourselves being made right with him. Meaning the law of God is simply there to point us to our need. As you read the law of God, it's pretty easy to read it and then recognize instantly. I don't measure up. I fall short. I've lied. I've sinned. I've taken God's name in vain. And he says, listen, the law was a guardian, but ultimately it is pointing us to the faith in Jesus. And we know that the law does not pass away. But he says this, and he says this in verse 25 and 26. He says, but now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There's this relationship changes that, that take place. It's not about the church or men and women waking up every day, feeling guilty, thinking that they have to somehow measure up to God. Meaning like, I have to somehow do X, Y, and Z. And he says, listen, it's now through faith in Christ. And when you come to faith, you become sons and daughters of the King. It's the constant reminder of what Jesus has done for us. You might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, I thought we are talking about baptism. When are you going to get to that? Well, it's interesting that in the midst of this, as he's talking about this law, talking about how it was a guardian, but now faith has come. Now it's all about faith in Jesus. He says this in verse 27. He says, For as many of you as were baptized 
in to Christ have put on Christ. That phrase right there. You have put on Christ. God's word is telling us that when men and women come to faith in Jesus, and when they're baptized, there is this unity that takes place. We are literally putting on Christ in baptism. So why is baptism so important? It's because Scripture, scripture teaches us that, that it is literally those who have been baptized in the Christ, we are literally putting on Jesus in the waters. We are putting on Christ. There is this unity that takes place that, honestly, church, it's a, very, it's a mystery. God's word even calls it a mystery here. And we're going to be, to be looking at that in Ephesians 5. But, but there's this mystery that takes place. And Scripture is simply teaching us when you come to faith in Christ, it's all about faith in Jesus, period. Baptism does not save you. Faith in Jesus, by his grace, you are saved. But when men and women get baptized, it's us putting on Christ, and there's this unity that takes place. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about marriage here, but he also throws this in and talks about the mystery of it. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you've grown up in church, keep that verse up there. If you've grown up, you've always heard that. When you get married, when men and women get married, you become one, right? Like that's, it's biblical from time and time, all the way through. But then look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. He thinks you're talking about marriage, but he's talking about this. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That there's this profound mystery. Like you can look at marriage, and you know that when men and women get married, they become one. But he says, it's a profound mystery because I'm really talking about Christ and his church. There's this unity that takes place between God's people and the Son, Jesus. And it takes place through baptism. That's the crazy part about it. And this is why I say we don't, we don't actually talk about this enough here. We don't even think about this enough because because God's word is showing us there is this unity when men and women get baptized. There's a unity that takes place between them and Christ. Just to remind us, Galatians 3.27. For as many as you who are baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. We are joined with him. We are unified with him. Well, people debate all the time. Pastor, do I have to get baptized? Pastor, what if I'm not baptized? And people love to use this stage. Pastor, what if there's someone who gets saved and they're like 90 years old and they're, they can't move and they don't get baptized, do they go to heaven? Once again, faith and salvation is not based on anything else but based on God's grace through, through faith. But my ultimate question to people that say, well, I don't know if I should be getting baptized. I'd say, why would you not be baptized? Why would you not want to be baptized? It is commanded. If you look at the book of Acts, there's this great sermon preached. The first sermon in the New Testament, the very, very first sermon, people are like, I believe in Jesus. What do I do? He literally says, repent. And do what? And be baptized, every one of you. 
There is this command to it, but it's more than just us being unified. There's this symbolism that takes place within baptism that I think God's word expands on and makes it very, very clear. Last scripture, maybe. I might have more. Romans 6. I want to read this to you. I want you to, to look at how he intertwines baptism here into Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Meaning, I come to faith, I believe in Jesus, can I still do whatever I want to do? By no means. That's not what the calling is. God's grace is not a pass for us to keep living however we see fit. He says, by no means, in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, there's that word again, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Have you ever thought about how baptism looks? Many of you, like I said, have been baptized. It's this imagery here. Image. I'm saying that word way off there. Totally messed up that one. It's an image here. When someone gets baptized, they get buried. It's a symbolism, but it's also a reality of us being unified with him. When someone goes down to the water, we hold them, and then we dip them in. And then we hold them down long enough so that they can't really breathe, and then we finally bring them back. No. (laughs) But there's this symbolism taking place here, church. You're buried with him. Jesus died. You're dying with him. It's this... It's this like profound mystery, but it's also like there's so much symbolism going on here. When men and women come to faith in Jesus, it's not just I've added Jesus to my life so I'm good and I want to go to heaven. The calling is from, from beginning to end is that we come and we die with him. It's some of the strongest words, and, and we talked about that one last week here, but he's saying, do you not know that when you're buried with him, when you're baptized into him, When you go down, you'll also rise with him. It's this, it's this us saying, God, I'm with you. Your son dies, I die. I'm with him. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is worth everything to me. Jesus even said, if you're not willing to abandon everything, you cannot be my disciple. And baptism is us saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all in. I'm all in with you. I will die with you, but there's this beautiful phrase afterward. You rise with him. 
He raises you to a newness of life. And it's this symbolism, but it's also us. It's us, it's us really coming to him. And it, like what I said, it's us saying, Jesus, I'm all in with you. It's interesting in the, in the Muslim world. In the Muslim world, you can, you can call Jesus a great prophet. The Quran makes it clear that he was a virgin birth. Quran says that you can call him even the son of God. But within the Muslim world, the moment you get baptized, you're done. Your family, you are cut off. They recognize that when, when they go down to the water, when they make that public commitment, when they are saying, I am with Jesus, their friends and their family who remain Muslim consider them, they're done. They recognize that, hey, Wait a minute, you, you, can, you can believe in Jesus, you can like confess Jesus, you can call him son of God, you can do a lot of things, but the moment you go down to the water, the moment you publicly declare, I am dead with Jesus, I have died with him, in their world, it's over. And oftentimes, I, I, I kind of explain it like this, and I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. It could be, you can decide afterwards. When you're dating someone, does, has anyone here ever dated before? Like, maybe you married couples? Excellent, excellent. He's been on one date. I like that. We've all dated someone, right? And that's why you get married. So when you're dating someone, you can say a lot of words. Man, I love you. Man, I care so much about you. And you can say that you are committed all day long. College girls, if the guy says he is committed, I don't believe him. Just to let you know. I'm picking on these ones right here. You got to play them that one Beyonce song. What's that song? Something about putting a ring on it. There's a hand. Should I do the little dance? I, I think there's a dance. I've, I've heard of a dance. But when you're dating, you can say you're committed all day long. Will you get married? Will you make that commitment? And I think baptism is almost parallel to that. Say, I love Jesus. You can say it. You can come to church. You can join a small group. You, you can do a lot of things. But baptism is us unifying ourselves to him and to him alone. It's not just a public declaration, and, and there's so much going on there, and, and, and there's so much scripture, but it's this idea that you die with him. And that's the ultimate call, church. I preach that a lot because that's what God's word ultimately says. Are you willing to die with him? Are you with him? Are you with him no matter what? Are you fully committed to him and to him alone? Just like marriage. When you get married, you confess it publicly. You've got witnesses. You've got people there. You've got people asking, do you vow your life to this person? And baptism is us saying, God, I, I'm all in with you. And I share this church and I preach this and like what I said, I know a lot of you have been baptized. But I have this calling and this challenge for us today. If you have not been baptized, if you have not declared who you are in Christ, in the water, I challenge you today. God's word calls us to baptism. He calls us to declare who Christ is in our lives. And I want to challenge you today, if you have not been water baptized, you might have been baptized as an infant. That's fine. I, I was there too. 
But have you come to faith in Jesus? And if you have, his calling is for you to come and die with him. And I want to challenge us today, church family. Next Sunday, we're going to go down to the water after church. And I believe that God is calling us. We've got a few people that have already come to me and said, Pastor, I want to get baptized. But I want to be calling and challenging you, church family. If you have not been baptized, come and get baptized. Every one of you, Scripture says. And I think why John always made it so that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the Bible always talks in presence tense and like saying, like, today is the day. You know, I I think honestly, sometimes church family, we do it a disservice waiting too long. Well, we got to have the right atmosphere and we got to have superior up to 75 degrees before I'm willing to go in. And we got we to have all these circumstances lined up. Well, I got to have family there. If you confess Jesus, if he is your Lord and he is your Savior, come and die with him. Be buried with him so that you may rise with him. And that is my my challenge to us today, church family. If you have not been baptized, come and be baptized. You've got a connection card. I want you just to simply write on there, I want to be baptized. And I want to talk with you more on this. Next Saturday morning, I'm going to have a a little baptism class. We're going to talk a little bit more about the details and what to wear and what not to be wearing. But next Sunday, right after church, I'm going to call you forward. We're going to pray for you. And then we're going to go to the water. We've got to be somewhat quick because we do got a baby shower next Sunday too, just to let you know, just to kind of slip that one in there. But the baby shower will still happen. Don't worry. Stephanie, I, for, I don't even know. She's gone, right? Her husband's sitting over there like, yeah, yeah. But church family, I want to leave you with that. I want you, I'm going to ask you to be standing right now. I asked Joanne to come and lead us in a song. And as, as, as we stand... I want to pray for you. And I want you, as we sing, as we worship, I want you to really contemplate this. Like what I said, if you have never been baptized, I'm asking you to make that commitment. To say, Pastor, I want to be getting baptized. I'm all in. I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm all in. I want to go down to the water and meet him there. And like what I said, you can mark on your connection card and next Saturday morning at 9, I'm going to have a class. We're going to be talking more on that. But let me just pray for us. Father, we come to you, Lord. Father, as we, as we sing this last song, Lord, as we declare who you are, Father, may you be working on our hearts and minds. Father, for those who are following you, who have committed their lives to you, who, who have not taken that next step, in baptism, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that you'd be drawing us, that you would be reminding us how great you are. Father, I praise you this morning. Father, I ask this now in Jesus' name.